Hello, everybody. Welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Around the World. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me, as always, my wonderful co-hosts, David Luzader. How are you this fine evening? I am doing well. I'm here to discuss a movie that has long been on my list and I can now scratch off thanks to you. Yes, I'm very excited to talk about this movie. This was my pick for Around the World. But joining us as well, someone who has seen the film, Nicole Davis. How are you? I'm good. I am excited to talk about something that is uh, living proof that you can be a filmmaker no matter what your budget is <laughs> and uh, build a successful career out of it. Yeah, no kidding. This is like the film school student success story. I think it's like the right. classic film school student success story. Say that five you, times fast. You do, Okay, you do kind of also have to have talent along with the budget. I will give you that. Yes, you have to have incredible talent. <laughs> and that talent is going to go in very weird ways, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Uh, but before we talk about this week's film, I do want to mention next week's film. It is You Did This To Us ne next week. That means that right now, uh, things are currently in limbo. You are all voting. And if you want to vote for future weeks, again, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, and you will get updates to do so. But... Uh, future me, the one who knows what this is going to be, is going to tell you what it is right now. Hello, everybody. You picked the Emoji Movie. That's right. <sighs> the Emoji Movie. I know this episode's coming out a little bit late. My apologies. I was pretty sick. So you're actually going to get that in your feed today. And you did that to us, whatever it is. Uh, I hope you were gentle. Oh, I never would have guessed that one. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. It looks like I'm thinking like there's a bunch of really weird things in there. I put it up and within don't, like 15. Don't, don't talk. Don't don't talk about it. <laughs> no, I will say this. Within 15 minutes, all I see pop up, not one of the ones I put in, was Daredevil, the bat flick version. Like, oh, no. Oh, no. I love how they I love how whoever that was clarified, that though. Yeah, that one's not that bad, but it's I fine. don't love it, but it's not that bad. They could do a lot worse to us. <laughs> they and have. they have, and they will. And, yes. Well, this week, though, we're not doing You Did This To Us. We're doing Around the World. It was my pick every uh, you know, time around the cycle. We all get to pick on a different category. And I picked Robert Rodriguez's 1992 debut film, El Mariachi, a poor but talented mariachi carrying only a few pesos in his guitar in its black case, arrives in a, is it a cuna or a, how do you spell it? Acuna. Acuna, looking for work. Unfortunately, on the same day, a murderous drug dealer with a guitar case full of weapons evades a jailhouse assassination attempt and escapes. The mariachi is mistaken for the drug dealer and is pursued through the city, finding temporary shelter and love with a local bar owner. Let's, so, let's discuss the word escapes for a few minutes. <laughs> paying, happily let out. <laughs> right. Is paying the guard to just walk out an escape attempt? <laughs> um, hmm. 
Hmm. Leaves without permission of the state. There we go. There, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. A lot of things are happening in this movie hey, without well. permission of the state. Uh, and the reason I picked this film, uh, it is technically Mexican-American, um, but it is yep. all in a foreign language. It's in Spanish, and it was shot filmed in Mexico. Yeah, in Mexico. Mexico. Uh, and Robert well, and it was, it was supposed to be, Robert Rodriguez wanted it to be primarily in the Latin uh direct to video market but it yes. didn't it, it didn't work there so he went to bigger distributors and it found footing yeah you know it just happens to be when you make a movie for a really small audience and doesn't really work out and then columbia pictures is like hey want two hundred thousand dollars um <laughs> but this movie for me was so um like powerful for me growing up because i like many kids growing up i was like i'm gonna be a director you know when i first enrolled in school i enrolled in film school and that i don't even think that lasted a semester i think i was in j school within like weeks of being in film school um but it was like a childhood passion of mine i obviously love film that's why we do this show and early in my you know adolescence reading the book uh, Rebel Without a Crew, which is a collection of all the diaries and then annotations that Robert Rodriguez wrote while creating this film, and then also eventually seeing this film, was like such an inspirational story to me because it is a pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You do not have any uh, advantage in the creation of this film, and Robert Rodriguez did not, and he made something that spurred an entire career for him good enough to the point where the sequel, they were like, how about Antonio Banderas? When this is coming after he was hiring his friends. And by hiring, I mean not paying his friends. Because that's the, how he this, had to this get the movie, film made. The, the way this movie got made is that, yeah, he had $7,000 for the budget, which uh, in today's money, you know, because we, we say like, oh, he made it for $7,000. Like If you really want to think about it, in today's money, it's about 12000 uh, mm-hmm. To give kind of context of what things would be at, but uh, so much of it was he spent all almost all of his money on film. Yes, this uh, is it, it was yeah, the actual film stock. Yeah, the actual film stock. Most most of this movie is like, okay, wh- what friends do I have, and what do my friends have that I can put into this movie? Like that yeah. dog is a friend's dog. Oh, 100%. It's a great dog. That's 100%. how it got the movie. I love that dog. And and we'll get into a lot of different little uh, fun anecdotes that I, I have from reading this book, and I'm sure you guys found you know online as well. Uh, the way he made this movie was such an inspiration, and the fact that he be, could become such an A-list uh, director uh, as a result of that. I think he could. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think he I think he could have been, but he has chosen to kind of always stay on the fringe. Right. But by A-list director, I mean, he has had the opportunity to play around with Hollywood budgets. You know, he's made Predator movies and stuff with Quentin Tarantino and like Sin City and stuff like he has. He has had the opportunity to step into the echelon of film with the kind of budget that one can only dream of. Sure. But I mean, like. John Turtletaub gets to play with Hollywood budgets, and I don't anything. I don't think anyone would call him an. Okay, but here's the. Th- but how many directors? You know, yeah, you're you're throwing out like sure. There's there's Peyton Reed. Now people know who Peyton Reed is. But how many directors have? Uh, it, Peyton Reed is the guy that directed the Ant Man movies, for the record. Um, but does Peyton Reed, even though he gets paid with those budgets, does he have the force behind him to launch a cable network? 
like Robert Rodriguez's name has some power to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the true. Mexico trilogy, which is this is really the first step in, is uh an incredible exploration of his early filmmaking and there's all sorts of other weird missteps <laughs> and other uh spy kids movies along the way. And we'll talk about that later in the show. But and the a movie back, we'll never see. But anyway. I know. Um but to talk about El Mariachi. Um, so that's the reason I picked it. It was highly inspirational for me growing up. And Nicole, you had seen this movie before, correct? You own it, I believe. Yeah, I do. Okay, right on. And David, you had not seen it. We, we covered that ground. So going into not. this, is it better or worse than you expected it to be knowing it was made on a shoestring budget? Oh, um, well, because I had heard interviews with him in the past talking about the movie and, you know, coming at this now, like I knew that, you know, he had used his friends and whatever resources his friends had to make the movie. So my expectations, I think, were pretty spot on. Um, You know, there is a lot to I I have some some sort of thoughts about this movie that I want to share, like at the end when it's kind of like, would you recommend this or not? Because I think there's a I think there is a correct a best way of watching this movie. Mm. Uh, but, you know, it's a movie where there's shots out of focus, where he didn't have enough money to reshoot scenes, so he would just edit them. Uh, he would have to edit them before the actor made a mistake and then just include a shot from another <laughs> angle in order to save the scene. And it's very, it's very by the skin of its teeth, yeah. And I think that's exactly what I expected. It's very obvious it was shot on one camera. <laughs> it's yes. um it's incredibly obvious that a lot of the ADR had to be done uh because his he didn't really have a sound system. Like he had film and he had a no. film camera, but he didn't have like he couldn't mic shots up. So I thought all of it was ADR that they had to have he had to It is, yeah. That that's really what I mean. Afterward. It's like the entire film is ADR, um, which is well, kind and, of insane. Uh, and, like, and also, Robert Rodriguez had no crew. He shot this movie, edited it, uh, did you know? He didn't storyboard this movie at all because there was no one to storyboard it for. He did everything. Yeah, absolutely. And you watch the film, and the ADR surprisingly good. Uh, you know, for yeah, those for those unfamiliar, bad, yeah. He, since he didn't have a uh, a sound system, uh, he was bringing the actors into his little studio which was at his college at the time and he was having them re-record all their lines over uh and this was i believe he was at the university of texas and he was having them record all their lines over the footage and try to get their inflection and their timing perfectly right and with professional actors maybe adr is not the biggest deal in the world but as we've talked about you don't recognize anybody in this movie because they're all just kind of his buddies. <laughs> uh, or and, just people around. Yeah, or just like people that happen to be there and were okay being yeah. on camera. Um, no one in this movie is a particularly excellent actor. Uh, but no. that that works for me. That's kind of the charm to me. Is is It's so innocently playful in the sense that Robert Rodriguez is just doing what he can with a tiny budget. I don't know. I thought that... Carlos Gallardo and Consuelo Gomez were actually very good, as well as uh, who is the man who plays Azul, Reynold Martinez, um, playing Azul, I think did a, a very good job for being not professional actors. Yeah, yeah I no, think I within that, the that context of this movie, they do good. <laughs> I 
don't know if they would hold up in other movies, but I don't know. I think they'd be fine in small roles in other movies, but which, Hey, they, they, that's sort of been, uh, I can't remember the main actor's name, but that's what he's been pretty much. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, the guy who played Mauricio, the, uh, it was Moco. Um, Peter Marquardt was just some dude that Robert Rodriguez met in a drug study, which is where he got like half the budget. Yeah, for the that's, yeah he raised $3,000 <laughs> by being in a drug study. Yeah, so, so he's he's a little <laughs> shaky, but you know he he's he's giving it his best effort. Shaky like Topanga right now. Um, yes, <laughs> but one thing. Oh, first of all, Pierre Mar- Marquant is dead. That's a bummer. I just learned that. Yeah, he passed yeah. away in 2014. Uh, but one thing I want to talk about the drug studies is that when you read the book, um, there's like long passages of him being like, "I'm going into this study, and I'm." going to be locked away for three, four, five weeks. I'm just going to keep working on writing this movie mm-hmm. and, you know, creating this movie. And it is such a, like, harrowing book in a way because he's, like, he. these are not, like, mild drug studies. This is stuff with, with side effects and is messing well, with his body severely. And he, and he was locked in a room for a month. Like, it wasn't like, yes. oh, Take go go to take this at home and then come back and we'll see how you're doing. Yeah, these are observed studies happening, and all of it is to make this movie, uh, which is such a like it's Dedication. a classic like you know, the, the the artist bleeding for the art. But uh, let's be honest, like everybody listeners right now, I want you to stop and think: what would you subject yourself to? Painful long drug trials for a month to raise money to do like what passion in your life do you have that yeah. you would do that for yeah and and he did multiple studies like like it, there are points where he goes out and films realizes he doesn't have enough money and has to go back and do another one like he did it several times um and the book is really a great insight to, into that but what we're ultimately getting to here is that even though it didn't find really significant success in its native market, it ended up grossing over $2 million worldwide by the time Columbia Pictures bought it up and distributed it more widely. Uh, and that gave him the opportunity to make the next two films in the trilogy. Uh, and well, and it uh, first of all, this movie is in the Library of Congress. I just want to sort of point that out uh, to, be, to be preserved uh, for its significance. But movies like this and movies... Um, there's like a short film that was made by the Duplass brothers. And I think kind of Sam Raimi <laughs> you know what is you're talking, like the five minute film. Yeah. Yes. So movies, what, what happens is these guys make these, these good movies on these tiny little budgets. And what studios do is they see them and they say, okay, that guy did this with $7,000, like in 1992. Uh, what, you know, if we give him, $70,000, what can he do? You know, if, I mean, if we give him like $10,000, $15,000, what, what kind of movie can he make? So right. that's how, the, uh, you know, that actually happens fairly often where people make a decent film with a really small budget and studios are like, okay, this is a guy we don't have to give a lot of money to and can make us a good film. Yeah, that's, that's kind of why I'm amazed that, say, you know, um, Guillermo del Toro doesn't get as as much of a budget as he would like from studios and doesn't get studios cooperating with him more often just because he does so much with surprisingly, I mean, they're, they're still huge budgets compared to 
this or even Desperado or anything like that, but he does so much with relatively little by Hollywood blockbuster standards that it's, it, and Robert Rodriguez does everything with nothing. <laughs> yes. I mean, he still, still does so much himself like editing. Yeah. He's got his home filming. studio almost. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Now, digging into the movie, let's talk about Robert Rodriguez's organized mind. This is a discussion topic from Nicole. And yeah, to build this entire movie by yourself is pretty incredible. Well, there's that. There's, you know, organizing it with, I mean, you know, number one, he was organized in the sense of you said he didn't have any storyboards. I mean, he basically kept the storyboards in his head. Mm -hmm. He knew what shots he wanted, um, but he had to compromise on the fly sometimes because there were there were cases where it just was not physically possible or he couldn't do enough takes to accommodate what he wanted to have. So he'd just do a lot of, you know, sort of editing in his mind on the fly. And he's like, Oh, the guy missed the first time he threw the guitar case up onto the balcony. So just, just throw it again. We'll put a cut in there. We'll change the angle and it'll look like we're switching to a different camera angle to complete the movement. And, you know, so he had that, he, he knew what to switch to as they were going. So it was sort of a, a built-in storyboard and an ability to change tracks as they went. Uh, that was pretty remarkable. And I mean, that saves a lot of film, not having to do a, a million takes and mm-hmm. do different yeah. <laughs> camera setups and lighting setups. And lighting was like two lights that people held by hand. Um but it was also organizing in terms of, you know, the sort of knowing who to talk to in the city uh, to be able to shoot there. They actually like borrowed guns from the local police department. And that's oh, some of what you see in the movie, like the machine guns from the police. Which is yeah. funny because they still look kind of fake. <laughs> like, they do. They that machine so gun looks, plasticky. It looks like somebody well, made it in his garage. Because at one point he also used water guns. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're painfully obvious. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I didn't notice, but I'm not uh, a good person. One, one thing. So. One, one thing I love about his organizing with the city is that for this, like when they had to uh, film on a certain street, the way like you know he'd put up a sign. Yeah, the one street they shoot on. <laughs> yeah, but he'd put he'd put the sign up in English, so nobody would have any idea what it said. <laughs> It was, I guess it was like to not slow down production or anything. I get people to like be looking all weird, but I just think it's so funny that, yeah, oh, here's an English sign in this Mexican city that no one will understand. <laughs> yeah, he's he was an incredible mastermind of fixing things on the fly. I mean, the camera was borrowed and he constantly had the change the story to fix what was going on um he i remember reading the book he even had issues with you know getting the getting the guns and the weapons to stay inside of the guitar case which and they they look so fake in that like the fake looking like halloween knives and stuff um but like at the end of the day it's also a very funny movie and that's something nicole put in the docket as well and i think part of that is robert rodriguez's sense of self-awareness when it comes to some things that are kitschy. And I think he really fully embraced that, you know, later in the decade. Uh, and then some of it is just, it's endearing probably, right? Like, I don't, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, some of it, some of it is definitely some of the budget. Yeah. yeah. Like this, this is a low budget film kind of from the obvious point. 
Uh, and I think like there is kind of some humor in, in kind of watching this movie and knowing a little bit more about it. Like that whole thing at the beginning of, oh, you know, the free coconut. And the reason that it's the free coconut is because they forgot to show him paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes this little plot point in the beginning because, whoops, well, we're not going to reshoot that. Right. So, I mean, that's... I just had forgotten. I, I thought of it more as sort of a, a cheap action movie. But, yeah. I mean, it's the way... Which it is. It is, yes. But, I mean, it's like the way <laughs> he shoots the uh, the prison guard taking the bribe. And how she's just like, oh, okay, cool. I can make rent this month, you know, kind of look on her face. <laughs> oh, that stupid keyboard scene. Oh, my God. The keyboard scene is the best. It's hilarious. You're saying like this movie's funny. In the bar. Yeah. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. I've already got a mariachi. I've got a whole band of mariachis. Yeah. So, so for context for the listeners, he, he, when he arrives in this town after he's gotten his free coconut and after he walks by a turtle on the highway, which was not part of the script, the turtle just happened to be there and they're like, oh, this would be good. Ends up being a running theme throughout the movie. Um, But uh, he arrives at this bar trying to get work. And the bartender says, I already have a mariachi. I have a full band and I only have to pay one guy. And then he motions over at this guy slumped in the corner that like very quickly gets up almost in like Wes Anderson-esque fashion and like puts his, you know, keyboard, Yamaha keyboard on two bar stools and presses a button and starts playing really kitschy, like, you know, generic, like pre-built in sounds on the keyboard and then swipes his keys across it. And uh, yeah, he's not even really playing music. He's no. like hitting all the pre-programmed stuff on the keyboard. Right, right. It's like the it's like the teach me how to play piano stuff. And right. then there's there's like a very short part of the movie that is like technology is killing our artistry. <laughs> like, and it spends time really lingering on the fact that like the art the the art of the guitar is no longer cherished, and that's diminished very very quickly when um, the bad guys mistake him for a different bad guy, which is where the movie um, gets so cheesy in a way because yeah. like of course they're gonna switch briefcase uh, not briefcases oh um, the guitar cases yeah guitar that- but briefcases is is like the the trope, right? Like it's always briefcases in other movies. Yeah. So much of this movie, so much of this movie is solved by don't walk around with your black jacket on and (laughs) don't walk around with a guitar case. And And that is the keeps telling him this. Yeah. That's what I I do. Like the domino is like, maybe don't do that. And he just (laughs) keeps finding excuses to run to the middle of the street, carrying a guitar case. There's, gangsters trying to kill you man come on i just love that the gangsters only have the only description they have is this guy's wearing all black and carrying carrying a guitar case case. yeah i know and that's it and never mind that he and the mariachi you know asul and the mariachi look a hundred percent different from one another they have the same hair color tall guy versus a (laughs) a heavier set short stout guy they look nothing alike yeah yeah but um, yeah, I mean, it has to be in there, and I th- I think yeah, he's he's embracing. He's got some of the same love of exploitation movies that Tarantino has. Say, you know, and he and Tarantino are are known to be good friends. They mm-hmm. got to be buddies because they approached film in a very similar way. Um, but I mean, I love that. I well. 
I didn't love it at first, but it's sort of grown on me. The fact that he does things like changing the speed of the film for humorous effect. Like when the guy goes and picks up the phone and starts dialing. It's almost a Charlie yeah, Chaplin-esque, you know, yeah. item. Yeah. Right. The guy at the at the hotel when the mariachi goes out, you know, runs over to his phone and the, it's artificially sped up and he's, you know, dialing the number. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like that at first because it, it takes you out of the movie a little bit. You don't get to be as absorbed in it. But right. it's also kind of cute in a way. You know, it's like, look, I'm I'm not afraid to do this. I'm not afraid to do something artificial if it's funny. And it'll make you smile or laugh. And he slows things down, too. There's there's really awkward moments where people are yelling at the mariachi and he's just not paying attention and it's slowed down to extreme dramatic effect. Yeah. Or the and first time he sees Domino and, and Domino's you know, slowed down asking him like, what do you have? But it's like, what do you have? <laughs> for context for the listeners, cause I know a ton of people probably won't watch this movie. Uh, you should. It's, I, I think it's fun, but uh, um, Domino is a local bartender that, oh, well, she owns the bar, and we later learn how she came uh, to owning that bar. And he comes to her bar searching for work. Um, and at first, she turns him away, just like everyone else in town. But later, she becomes kind of this refuge for him when she realizes that he is indeed the wrong guy. Because it does seem that, like, pretty much everyone in this tiny little town has some sort of connection uh, to this gang, including her. But she realizes that he's the wrong dude. So, uh, how do you guys feel about their weird relationship in this movie? It's, you know, it's fine. It's, yeah. it's, it's typical. You know, nobody, you don't, you don't, in real life, you don't fall for somebody that quickly. I mean, I guess, I guess you can in like this intense emotional sense, but they just like, you know, trying to play it up as like, they were in love and it's like they knew each other for 72 hours <laughs> if that long yeah she held a letter opener to his dick it's fine <laughs> <laughs> oh and that scene like that's another one of the oddly funny scenes is where oh, right, her way of determining song about her yeah his uh, his litmus her litmus test for determining whether or not the mariachi is indeed a mariachi is chucking his guitar at him while he's naked in the bathtub and making him sing a nice little ditty and play very pretty and play sweetly to her as she's holding uh, a letter opener to his balls. So Right. She's not just demanding that he play. She's like, play something sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But she does fall for him, and she's one of the more interesting parts of this movie to me. Yeah. Because I suppose... What I love about Robert Rodriguez at the end of this movie is that we get the shot of him driving away in the sunset, which is one of my favorite shots of this movie. I love that ending. It's so dumb and I love it. But um, we don't get it with the girl because the girl just gets killed and that's it. Yeah, like you get Domino the dog. at the end of this yeah, movie he gets, the dog. gets killed. He gets the dog, yes, which I want to talk about a little bit later. Um, but uh, Azul gets killed um, yeah. and Domino get killed Weird. together without much like fanfare it's just kind there, of done there are four pretty much like pretty much four named characters in this movie <laughs> and three of them die well and the mariachi doesn't get a name he's just the mariachi 
That's why I said four because there's uh, there's Domino, there's like yeah. uh, uh, Mako's uh, head Moko. henchman, Moko's Bigaton, head henchman, or the Bigaton. Yeah, Bigaton and Azul are pretty much right. the only people that have names, except the uh, the women that um, Azul just keeps in bed with him. They are just credited as Azul's rats, numbers one through three. No, no, no. Those are those are his. Those his are his two little henchmen. I think they're female bodyguards. Yes, they're credited as bodyguards. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, and then most of the people in this movie are credited as Moko's men. Yes, <laughs> which means booger in Spanish. Um, it does. No, it technically means mucus, which you could probably interpret to be you know booger or snot or whatever. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let's also talk about the mariachi's dreams. He has several dreams in this movie. Are they weird prophetic dreams or are they just fillers for running time? This is another question from Nicole. Uh, the first time I saw this movie, I really thought they were just fillers, and I still kind of do. Yeah, um, it's <laughs> they're I, like kind of prophetic, I guess. I think that's where you kind of see Robert Rodriguez maybe being a little bit pretentious, uh, where he's like, I will add these prophetic dreams and they're going to seem really deep. And maybe they mean something to him, but he didn't translate them well at all onto the, onto the screen. Maybe they forgot to film a scene that would have connected it all together. Uh, but I, yeah, I think they're not great. I, so speaking of a filler and low budget movies, I always makes me think of um, Edgar Wright's first movie, it's like a fistful of fingers, I think it's called. And he had to add on like a minute into the running time to get it to qualify for something. So there's a scene where these two characters are talking around a campfire and they put the campfire out. And so he went back and then added additional dialogue in the pitch blackness <laughs> and had the actors record it. And there's nothing on screen. It is pitch black. It's just these two guys talking. And that is how he got it to fit the length he needed it to. Excellent. <laughs> but that's kind of what those these dream sequences make me think of. Well, I what think about there's you, like a, a there's a couple of, you know, there's a disembodied head and a couple of shots of blood that are, you know, portents of the violence to come. But most of it's just this, you know, he's slowly following this kid around and Everything's just sort of going in slower motion and he's just walking around the town. There is one really cool shot where he walks through a doorway and the doorway is sort of standing in the middle of a vacant lot. It's not attached to anything. It's just the door in the frame that he walks through that I thought looked really cool. And I'm sure Robert Rodriguez looked at it and thought, wow, that would be really cool (laughs) if he walks through the door from nowhere to nowhere. Perhaps this symbolizes his journey in life. But (laughs) (laughs) who knows? Who knows? But it's, you know, this is why I think that's one of the reasons why David Lynch absolutely refuses to explain any of his movies is like people are going to read into it what they're going to read into it. So he doesn't bother (laughs) trying to give what's the, you know, quote unquote, correct explanation. He's like, people enjoy it more when they can make up their own thing. So. And they're, Maybe. They're, they're probably the only ambiguous part of a otherwise very straightforward, straightforward. mix them up yeah. movie, you know? Uh, and like, there's so many elements of this movie that are just so predictable. And that's what I love about them. Um, you could probably understand where this is going to go from A to Z uh, in the first 20, 30 minutes of the movie tops. And well, although I wouldn't have predicted that the love interest would die. 
That's right. true. Yeah, That's true. there's that nice little twist. That's and true. even like even Azul doesn't see that coming. He's like, oh. Yeah, I, I thought she killed... was a hostage, but no. You killed yeah. my meat shield. Well, also, what, <laughs> what, what was his plan? Like, can we break that down? Azul shows up at the bad guy's compound. Okay, he shows up at Mako's compound, and he brings the love interest because the mariachi and Mako are both into Domino. Right, and he brings her as a hostage with a tiny little, you know, six shot revolver. There's like fifteen guys there. What was his grand plan there? Like, how did that pan out for him in a good way? Shoot Moko. Yeah, he, he just was a. I forgot. Was he the one who was saying it was too late for his, to get his money, or was it Moko who said it was too late? Moko to get was money? saying that it was too late to get his money, which makes no sense because after this guy's killed like ten of your people or six and four because they think that these two guys are the same person. Uh, at one point, you think you might just want to pay him, right? Like he's going to go away if you just pay him. Yeah. Yeah, so, this is not going well for anyone. Right. Well, you know, he's got a he can't be a a criminal, you know, criminal a, a crime boss and have people be able to kill his men with impunity. And right, yes, he, he has to make an no. example of him. Right. So he's he can't real, let him go, really. He's just, I just real feel bad like, at it. I feel like Azul doesn't do a particularly good job of being the badass he's supposed to be at several times in this movie. There's no way he would have gotten out of the end alive, regardless of how well that could have gone for him. And there's other scenes in the movie. For example, when they do switch the guitar cases. And obviously the mariachi's guitar case has a guitar, and um, Azul's case has a bunch of guns and knives and stuff. And they switch, and Azul gets pulled on the side of the street by three of the henchmen. And they all have guns to his neck, and they're opening up the case to see if it is him, because they're not really sure. The guitar is in it. What was he going to do even if the guns were in it? Like, he's Get still shot. dead. Yeah. yeah. Or see how fast he could grab for the guns, maybe. I mean, you can kind of see it uh, in his like expression that he wasn't expecting there to be a guitar either. Like, I think he kind of was like, okay, well, this is where I get shot. He was yeah, yeah. definitely his, going by the seat of his pants. His other well, his henchmen aren't that good either because they just leave him. So his henchmen aren't terribly bright or loyal beyond how afraid they are of him. Um, but you know, he's Asul is not as smart as he likes to think he is either. In that he picks up the guitar case and doesn't notice that it's not his case full of guns, that it doesn't feel the same way. Whereas the mariachi picks up the guitar case in the bar that's not his and realizes immediately that it feels different and is not his guitar. And he throws it up on the bar to check. Yeah, the guitar case with the guns in it would be so much heavier. Uh, Like classical guitars are so light. So (laughs) a little ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) Depends on the guitar, but still. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So uh, is this movie... Good, bad, or so bad it's good? This is a question from David. David, why don't you elaborate on what you're thinking here? Like, because there are movies that we all love that are like, oh, it's like so bad, but like the earnestness and love in that movie is there, that it comes out on the other side and it's worth watching. And I don't necessarily think this movie is that, but it's like there, from a movie making standpoint, there are some really obvious, like there are shots that are out of focus. There is stuff that doesn't quite match up. You know, the acting is not really top notch. Like it's it's a real rough, not even rough around the edges, rough around a lot of parts of this movie. 
Yeah. Um, but I think like there, there is, and that's why like, I, you know, I kind of struggle in this question is like, cause there is an earnestness in the directing and, and in the acting still that it's like, obviously there's something really special here. I lean more towards it's a good movie that is made as best as it could be, which tends to kind of be a little bit bad. Yeah. I mean, I think I would, I would agree with that assessment. I, I definitely don't think it's a, bad movie in any way except beyond the constraints of its budget and that he couldn't afford to hire actual actors in most cases um and you know this is say you know kevin smith made clerks for three times as much money four times as much money almost um and the acting in that there's two people in that movie who can act and the rest of them are <laughs> awful. And I mean, awful. You can see that they're reading off of cards and they're, you know, there's like one person playing a reporter and they're clearly just sort of drawing squiggly lines on yeah. their pad as they're talking <laughs> rather than actually writing even. And so it's just, you know, you can make Rodriguez clearly has a really good grasp of the craft of filmmaking and is doing the very best he can within his limitations. And it shows that he's doing great things within these limitations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think he's he's definitely showed himself right out of the gate to be an auteur you know this is a guy who has a voice and has the means of expressing that voice and it comes out really well you know and yeah i I do want to backtrack a little bit and say that i i I still love kevin smith even though we might very well not the best acted movie (laughs) yes we might very well end up with him next week because one of his movies is doing well in our you did this to us it's not one we see it either No, I've let's, not, let's not mention it so that people don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, oh, so but I will mention in the future one if it doesn't win. <laughs> Kevin uh, Kevin Smith does now direct the occasional episode of The Flash on yes. really? and, and thoughts on the most recent season aside, Jay and Silent Bob did show up in one of his episodes. So. <laughs> Good yeah, for and, him. Like, and like this is yes. a class. Do, do you guys think that it's also in part because in the nineties, cause all these, all these guys were talking about be, you know, came to prominence in the nineties. Uh, is it that it was slightly easier, but still incredibly hard to be a one man show after like film equipment and the stuff you needed to make movies became less pro and more prosumer in terms of what you needed to make movies. And that wasn't really a thing in the seventies and eighties. What was the question again? Sorry, I, I, <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is so like, prosumer. You mean like super high grade, super high but end, but accessible to a consumer level, right? Yeah, like, oh like yeah, I, I think that absolutely the introduction of that technology, like the red camera kind of thing. Well, yeah, no, like, I think he's talking about was yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I'm, I'm talking about like like you cannot make a movie on film that looks like this in 1970 or 1980 
with seven thousand dollars. Uh, that there is there is True. enough of an advancement in film technology and the kind of films that you can buy, uh, the kind of cameras you can buy on a budget in the '90s that allowed people like him and people like Kevin Smith to flourish in a relatively low budget environment in the mid to late nineties or early nineties, I guess with this movie, I just, I think there's something to that. I feel like the nineties was the breeding ground for auteur filmmakers to experiment because it became financially viable while still, still difficult to do. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. I think that, uh, it really was the start of, uh, these, you know, these people who had a passion who now had the means to get it done without having to go through, uh, film school or nepotism in order to get behind a camera. Uh, the thought just occurred to me, though, that if Kevin Smith is coming into uh, his his own now, that Clerks would totally be like a YouTube original series. Oh, my God. Yeah, totally. Uh, though, one thing I, I will say this, and it's the only thing I'm going to say. I've said many times on this show, I love From Dusk Till Dawn. It's what, it is half Robert Rodriguez. Oh, it's a great movie. Um, yeah, I a hope we watch it someday. I don't know for what, because I can't do it for Nula 2. I can't do it for Future Classics. I can't do it for Around the World. So I'm not sure what I'd watch it nope. for. Um, but uh, I have yet to watch the TV series because I'm scared. <laughs> uh, it's going to be terrible. Yeah. As far as I know, it's supposed to be decent. I don't want to say good because I don't know much about it, but I know like Robert Rodriguez has put his name behind it. Yeah, and it's, on his, it's on his TV it. network. Yeah, and he he directed um, some of the episodes as oh, well. Okay, then then I'm in on that. And let's also, I think that's also a good segue into talking about Rodriguez as a director because David did mention, you know, that he has his own network. He has what's it called like El Rey, or yeah, it's called El Rey. The El Rey Network. Yeah, he has his own network. He's done all sorts of collaborations, primarily with people like Tarantino. Um, you know, he's done everything from Sin City to the Spy Kids movies to. Uh, the Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl to the sequels that followed this movie and the Predators movie. Uh, he has. He had... didn't direct that. He didn't direct Predators. No, he didn't direct Predators. What? He produced it. Oh, okay. He directed Still. Machete, though. He directed he Machete. Directed... Yeah. He directed he was... the Faculty. He had his yep. fingers in Predators. Okay, <laughs> he was in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. He was behind yeah. it in a lot of ways. Yeah. So Nicole's question in our docket is: Have things gone awry for Robert Rodriguez, and what's with his Absolutely career right not. now? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like he's gotten so. <sighs> he's he's gotten insulated to the point of not having enough people cross check him. I think. Mm, okay. I get what you're saying. So you get something like Planet Terror, which is delightfully over the top in a lot of places, but also not delightfully over the top in some places. And I'm thinking in particular of a scene where something melts off of a person and it's just revolting and unnecessary and gross in like five different ways. Um but he's, you know, he's been doing all these Spy Kids movies. I haven't seen them, so I'm. I saw the first I've seen one. The first one, yeah. <laughs> I, no, no, I, I saw the second one too. The the second one had the little thumb people. I remember that. No, yeah, that's the first outside one. of animation, I don't tend to see movies that are specifically aimed at children. 
Um, and that's not to say that those can't be good. It's just I don't tend to enjoy them, so I don't seek them out. The um, third one had a foray into um, <laughs> like the red and cyan 3D glasses. It was Spy Kids 3D in an era where we oh, did right. not have real 3D. 2003. Uh, that, that was rough. That was a rough one. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, and he made Machete full length, and then he made Machete Kills, which, from what which, all accounts, is terrible. You no, know, it's not good. No. Machete is great. The first I just want to bring that up because next year we do have an official poster and an upcoming trailer for Machete Kills in Space. Yeah, um, I don't want to talk about it. There is no, only one man I'm, the president can trust, Machete, to start a nuclear war from Earth and space. Yeah, so his, his next thing coming up is Alita Battle Angel. Mm hmm. And I'm waiting to see how that is. It looks. Is that, is that Bug Eyes? It, I forgot about Bug Eyes. Yeah, that's the Bug yeah. Eyes. It, it looks very stylish, and it's got also got James Cameron uh, behind it. So that's it's a really interesting combination. I'm curious to see how that works. Uh, as far as Robert Rodriguez goes, I think I, I, I agree with you to an extent that I think that he has had a chance to do exactly what he wants, which is awesome and amazing but that also can lead to kind of some stagnation of not having to push himself or go outside of his comfort zone because he gets to do just what he wants to do. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, he has made his mark and he, his voice has been heard. And yeah, the Spy Kids movies aren't for us, but there are people who really like the Spy Kids movies. Uh, you know, Sin City has a style all its own that is is just gripping. I enjoy Sin City. Yeah, yeah I I haven't seen the second one, but that's because uh, Frank Miller can't direct, and I'm afraid of what that has done. <laughs> you know, I, and and I stand by you know I, because the El Rey Network is on in my favorite bar in town. Every time I go in there, <laughs> and, he, and but that he has been able to give a voice to people who wouldn't normally have a voice with that network. And it's so awesome. Yes. I'm curious to see what Alita will look like. And if this will be a, uh, maybe something that propels him a little bit more, maybe something that gets him out of his comfort zone. Cause James Cameron is involved in it. But I think, you know, no matter what happens, he is a guy that has done things his own way. And, I don't. I don't see any faults in his career from where I'm sitting. <laughs> well, well, we'll have to see what happens with you know Machete kills in space. I'm gonna ignore it. We'll have to I see what our that. what <laughs> our descendants. I want to see what our descendants weekend. I'm into this. <laughs> hey, hey, my descendants in the future, uh, send a hollow message back through time and tell me what 100 years was like. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So there is the Robert Rodriguez 100 years thing with a. Uh, Goodness, who what who did he John do Malkovich. that with? John Malkovich, right? Uh, that is locked in a vault uh, for capitalism because it's like an ad, isn't it? Like it's yeah, for a company. This, this company uh, it takes a hundred years for uh, Louis the Thirteenth cognac to right. age properly, so that film will be locked away for a hundred years. There's also a Pharrell song, and there's a, there's a there's a John Legend one in there too. 2117 and i hate them and hope that it's released in 20 years when they realize this gimmick was stupid <laughs> uh, not enjoy it my descendants no but i mean i i will always credit and love 
Robert Rodriguez for making Danny Trejo famous. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes, the world. <laughs> he is. He is. The one Dang. thing I am excited about with this Alita film is uh, I don't know if it's going to be any good, but it makes me excited that it's not a Spy Kids movie. It's not a spinoff of something he's already made. It's not a machete movie. And uh, it has a $200 million budget with James Cameron and John Landau producing this thing with an Academy Award winning cast like Christoph Waltz and Jennifer Connelly. So I'm just worried because it just... it. Every time I see a trailer for it, I'm like, this looks like a $200 million fetish movie. Marsha Ali's also in it. Uh, but, the, but the last trailer I saw, which had like a, a good chunk of action, I was like, that looks really fun to watch. It's, you know, it's one of those things that it's impossible for us to make any judgment on it now yeah. because it doesn't come out for another like five months. Is it right. uh, one quick question on it, though? Is it going to struggle with the uncanny? For those unfamiliar, go watch the trailer. The uh, Alita Valley. Battle Angel, A-L-I-T-A. Um, is it going to struggle with the weird uncanny valley of we're doing yep. this on a manga and we want to make her look stylized. So we're giving her golf ball sized eyes. And then the rest no, of everything is kind of the same. Yeah. Okay, baseball-sized yeah. highs. <laughs> and the rest of her body is kind of proportionally a human. Like a yeah. skinny human. <laughs> Very skinny, yeah. Yeah, the, the way it's going to be interesting to see how this movie looks in 20 years. Um, I just love that Jackie Earl Haley is credited as a cyborg. Okay. I'm very interested in what that's going to be. I can live with that. Uh, I'm a little worried that James Cameron is one of the screenplay writers because while he is no. he is great at telling stories, he is god awful with dialogue. Yes, so. he is an awful dialogue writer. Refer to one of the final episodes of Geek Cinema Society. Uh, we dug <laughs> yeah. deep in the Avatar. You know, hopefully, hopefully that's something that maybe Robert Rodriguez had a chance to help kind of punch up. Because that's one thing, too. I absolutely love Robert Rodriguez's dialogue. As cheesy as it can get, it's oh, yeah. always so entertaining. There are some yes. really, really cheesy dialogue in this movie, right? In in El Mariachi. Like, I love when he comes into the bar and, for, and meets Domino a second time. And he says, I killed four men. And she's like, this is true? <laughs> like, this is such a weird response. And he's like, yes, I killed these guys. And there's this really awkward, like, back and forth where she's picking up the phone, like, uh, presumably to call, um, Ma- you know, Mako um, or Moko. I keep saying Moko. Mako. Um, <laughs> and, like, she keeps, like, picking up the phone, taking it down, picking up the phone, taking it down while they're having this mo- really stilted dialogue. But it's also kind of great. <laughs> um, I... Oh, just f- for me, the the Robert Rodriguez dialogue that always sticks out is in Planet Terror when Freddie Rodriguez's character of El Rey is dying, and he tells Rose McGowan that she needs to go, you know, put put the sea, put her back against the mountains, it's like because you're pregnant now. She's like, "How do you know that?" And he touches her stomach, and he says, "Because I never miss." <laughs> so. Terrible, it but is. I love it. It is. It's also a very exploitation movie kind of dramatic yeah. pronouncement sort of thing. So, <laughs> oh god, it is great. 
<laughs> so as we begin the wrap down, David, you mentioned at the top of the program, I'll go to you first being the first being the first person on the show to see us with fresh eyes. Uh, you said it would be recommended under certain circumstances. What are those circumstances? I think it'll be best with a couple of friends uh, and not like, you know, not fully tearing it apart, but just with somebody that you can like, you can like laugh about the moments where it's out of focus and just sort of like some of the funnier moments of like when that guy's pocket on his shirt explodes. Oh my god, we didn't talk about the pocket. We didn't <laughs> like, talk just, about oh, the pocket. The squib yes. all the squibs are so great. And I, I think it's just it's a movie that like it needs a little bit of like, oh man, look at that. Isn't that ridiculous? Well, the uh, squibs are like homemade. I think it was yeah. They're they're condom syrup and blood on weight coloring though. in a yeah. condom. And it's I, I think it, it just benefits greatly from having somebody there with you to kind of share in some of the more ridiculous moments. Because and I, I liked watching it by myself, totally fine. But I just wish that there was someone else there so I could be like, oh boy, look at that. <laughs> yeah, for the listeners, David's referring to a shot where one of the moments in the movie, probably the first moment in the movie where the mariachi fully embraces the fact of like, I need to kill people. And he shoots this guy and <laughs> the guy's pocket like flies off and there you can just see his bare nipple, right? Like there's no bullet wound or anything like that and that's yeah there's there's no hole but like just i, I love the idea that like he gets shot and his pocket just exploded because there's blood all over his shirt i love it uh the, the shots in this film are either like it's one of two things it's either like a really cheesy looking squib going off that's homemade or it's just like fake muzzle flashes shooting into nothing right like nothing is happening from it like they went like when they're shooting at him and he's on the bus and he jumps onto the bus which is probably the only action shot in the movie i'm really impressed by that they were able to do that in seven thousand dollars but uh he's on the bus and they're shooting at him from a balcony that he just jumped off of and like nothing's hitting the bus like there's no ricochets there's no dust there's like nothing to show you bullets are coming at him uh it's one of those two things there's like no in between according to according to rodriguez um without uh when you take out the cost that was spent on the film for the camera uh, this movie only cost about six hundred dollars to make, which I I'm dubious on that amount. But I wasn't there. I don't he know. Borrowed stuff a ton is of stuff in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. If you read, yeah. When you read the book, you'll notice like literally everything in the movie is borrowed. Um, yeah. He didn't buy any props, so maybe I don't know. He certainly wasn't paying people, so there's that. All right, yeah, fine, fine, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Nicole, would you recommend this movie? And why, why not? How so? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's, I think I would, I don't think I'd show it to anybody under, say, like 12 or 13, just because of the amount of violence in the movie. But other than that, it's, I think it's totally fine. They don't translate the cursing yeah, no. Correctly, no, because there's some curse words that at one point means like bastard, and at one point they say means moron. I'm like, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so they're only going to get what's translated in the subtitles. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about the language. I think it's unless your child speaks Spanish fluently, in which case uh, that's up to you uh, how much you want them swearing around their friends. 
but it's i think it's great i think it's a lot of fun it's it's pretty quickly paced it's funny it's enjoyable the music is entertaining uh the mariachi songs are actually they're good quite good i think there's you know they hired some guy who was actually a musician to do the the central song of the movie the one that he writes for domino um and it's performed well and it's sweet and i like it and also and, they don't subtitle it which i love yeah i would definitely recommend it yeah yeah, absolutely. I mean, I recommended this movie to you guys. Uh, this is uh, a fun movie if you love film, right? If you want to see yes. a guy that you are familiar with, whether it's through his escapades with Tarantino or Spy Kids, whatever it is, if you want to see him in his roots trying to build something out of nothing, and I don't think that you have the opportunity to see that from a lot of very early filmmakers, uh then this is the film for you. And if it's something that really intrigues you, the Rebel Without a Crew book is fantastic. Apparently this year he aired, is airing, or has aired, because I don't know where in 2018 it came out. Uh, He made a documentary TV series about that book as well. So I'll have to check that out and report back on that, because I do love the story of how this was made, and I'm sure there's even more jam-packed into the documentary. Um, But, you know, one thing we didn't really touch on I guess we did touch on the fact that he made $200,000 selling this thing to Columbia when he was essentially just out of film school and made it for seven grand. So yep. that kicked off and, a career like nobody's business. That's amazing. And fun fact, uh, the the dubbed version, because there's, there's a dub version of this movie. The dub for this movie, he says, costs more than the entire movie cost to make, which I think is hilarious. There's a dubbed version? Really? Yep. It's like dub dubbed. <laughs> yeah, it's an English language dub. Oh, I never want to see that. Oh, okay, why do you want to do that? Just that go like, see Desperado, which is like both remake and sequel simultaneously. That's mostly yeah. in right. They, but they need. Here's the thing. I, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take issue with that right now because aside from the fact that people tend to not like dubs for whatever reason, um, even though I actually like them for certain movies like Howl's Moving Castle that we watched before uh, on our last show, I think. Or do we watch it on this show? We watched it on one of our shows. No, last show. It was on last show. We watched yeah. Freaky Cinema Society. Okay. Well, in any case, my issue with listening to a dubbed version of this movie is that the fact that he had the dub it in Spanish and had the ADR the entire film is part of the artistry of the film and is part of the struggle to get it made. So you're removing a whole element of that if you don't listen to it that way. Eh, just my two cents. It's cooler in Spanish. Listen to it in Spanish. Uh, but that'll do it for myself. David and Nicole. Uh, that was El Mariachi. And next week, again, we are going to be doing You Did This to Us. And that is your opportunity to torture us. You can do it every five weeks on Twitter and on Facebook. It'll be in the show notes. And I said at the top of the show, whatever that is, because we don't know what that is yet. But Nicole, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me shepherding our Facebook page where the current poll is up for our next You Did This to Us uh, choice. It is facebook.com slash moviegaroundpodcast. Uh, you can communicate with us there and see when every show goes up. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at your word Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. And you can find me on the thing I've just totally blanked. <laughs> Letterboxed. Letterboxed, under yeah. Full underscore Davis. <laughs> Very good. And what about you, David? Where can people find you at? 
Uh, you can find me on the socials under the username Davluz. That is D A V L U Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. You can find me there, and you will find links to other things I do there. <laughs> right on. You can find me on Twitter at Rivers Rubin. You can email the show. Movie go round at tiltingwindmillstudios.com. We would love to hear from you what you think of this film or any other film we've watched. We will read your comments on the show. Uh, and again, next week, as you did this to us, it'll be in your show notes as to what we're watching. But we'll see you then. <laughs> <laughs>